Okay, folks, we're going to continue on in our study in Ephesians. We're into Lesson 2 now. Last week we looked at some introductory material, kind of who's writing, which was the Apostle Paul, as well as uh, Paul's description of the Ephesian believers. And we kind of looked at some issues of their background, considering that he started this church. The fact that he wrote this letter when he was in prison. And so today we're going to get right into his epistle, and the first section really is verses 3 through 14, which is what we're going to look at today, and it's really a praise from Paul. He starts out his letter with a praise to God the Father, and it's really a praise about the role of the Godhead, that is the Trinity, in the issue of our salvation, what each person, specific person of the Trinity did with regards to our salvation. So today we're going to focus on the role of God the Father and what God the Father did with regards to our salvation. And then the next week we're going to look at what the role of the Son was, that is Jesus Christ, and what was the role and what is the continued role of the Holy Spirit in the issue of our salvation. So we're going to look at verses 3 through 14, and specifically we're going to look at verses 3 through 6 of this epistle to see Paul's praise for the Trinity. And so verse 3 specifically, that's what we're going to look at right now, we're going to look at Paul's praise. So notice with me verse 3 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. A couple things we're going to see here. First of all, the blessing. The blessing. Paul thanked God for blessing Christians. So first of all, he starts off saying, Blessed be God. So he's praising God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and notice what he said, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So he's wanting to point out that the first thing is he's praising God for is the fact that he has blessed each and every one of us here with spiritual blessings. In fact, I guess a good parallel passage would be over in Second Peter chapter 1, if you want to turn with me there. It tells you right off the bat, Peter tells you right off in chapter 1, what he has accomplished for us in salvation, and he tells us, if you notice with me, verse 3 of chapter 2, excuse me, of chapter 1 of Second Peter chapter 1, notice what it says, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and virtue. So here, he's, here Peter is talking about the reality that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now Paul, all the way back over here in Ephesians chapter 1, is blessing God for the reality that he has blessed us. That he has blessed us. He, Paul thanks God for blessing Christians. Now he's going to tell us the nature of that blessing. If you notice with me again, verse 3 of chapter 1. Notice that who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So 
why is he doing that? We are blessed because we are objects of God's love and grace. Now, the reason why he's blessing us is because you and I are the object of his love and grace. We are, we are, he's basically decided to bless you and I because we are his children. So now we're going to get into what his praise is, and specifically his praise for God the Father, which we're going to see in verses 4 through 6. So as we get into verses 4 through 6, you're going to notice, first of all, that Paul's praise reflects the role of each person of the Godhead in the salvation process. So verses 4 to 6 specifically deals with God the Father, Next week we're going to look and see that verses 7 through 12 deal specifically with the Son. And then verses 13 through 14 deal with the Holy Spirit. So Paul's praise is reflecting the role of each person of the Godhead in the salvation process. So let's notice what he says as he praises God for God's role in our salvation. So notice with me. We're going to look at these verses together, and then we're going to kind of examine them one by one. So notice with me verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So our first thing I want you to notice is as we look at this praise, the first thing that Paul's going to praise him for is the fact that God chose us. So we're going to see a couple things here. We see that from verse 4. First of all, God extended his grace to you. God extended his grace to you. Notice what it says there. Just as he chose us in him. Now, that issue of choice, a lot of us have a hard time with that reality. But the fact of the matter is, is that when it comes to the issue of salvation, and we're going to see this especially in this epistle of the Ephesians, that God the Father is sovereign over the issue of salvation. You know, a lot of people like to say that it's you and I who have a choice. Yes, we have a choice in, in, in whether or not we accept Jesus Christ. But the reality is, it is God the Father who initiates salvation, who saves. None of us can say that we saved ourselves. The reality is, is if you think about it, when it came to the time when you got saved, he's the one who brought by the messenger to share with you the gospel. He's the one who gave you the ability to understand. Now, how do I know that? Because when we go all the way over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that the gospel is not veiled, but that the, the folks of this world are blinded by the God of this world. Who's that? Satan. Satan has blinded folks from understanding the scriptures. So how do you, how do you and I come to a place where we understand the gospel? It's because God gives us an understanding. God, according to the scripture, gives us faith. So when you look at the whole issue of salvation, the reality is is that God is sovereign in the entire process. And so when Paul says he chose us, he's basically saying that God in his sovereignty extended grace to you and I. And then he goes on and he tells us in verse 4 when 
this choice was made, when this timing was, when this decision was made, notice the timing of his choice, before the foundation of the world. So here's what I want you to see. He made his decision before time began. He made his decision before time began. Now let me just remind you of something. We're dealing with an epistle where the writer is a human being just like you and I, and he's trying to communicate the role of God the Father in the process of salvation. And so I need to remind you of something here. First of all, does God exist inside of time? No, he doesn't. God doesn't exist inside of time. In fact, who created time? God created time. So God exists. So when you see scriptures that he is the same today, yesterday, and forever, the reality is it's the same God who exists outside of time. So God is here today. He's tomorrow. He's in the past. It's all to him. That's why Peter says a day is as a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is as a day to him. So when we talk about this whole issue of his choice, what he's trying to say to you is that before anything existed, God already decided. Now, I know that's hard for some to grasp, and, and that brings up several different issues, but we really can't get away from what the apostle is saying right here in this passage. So he basically is saying is that he made his decision before time began. Now, why did he do that? The, the verse goes right on, and he tells us the purpose of this, why he did that. Why did he make this choice? Here's what I want you to see. That we, verse 4, should be holy and without blame before him in love. Notice the purpose. His purpose is that you would be holy and blameless. His purpose is that you would be holy and blameless. So he made this decision... In his sovereignty, he reached out and extended the grace of salvation to each of us, that decision being made long ago. And the whole purpose is, is that you and I, who, are, who before salvation were basically sinners, basically alienated from him, separated from him, dead to him, he decided to reach out, extend grace to us, to save us, to bring salvation, so that we would, because of his action, be holy and blameless before him. So that's what Paul's saying here. He goes on then, in the last part of verse 4, he says, In love, verse 5, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. We're going to see now that he predestined us. Now what does that mean? We're going to look in here and see what the verse says. First of all, notice the manner. We see it in the last part of verse 4, those two words, in love. What I want you to see is, is that God's actions towards us were based on his love. So oftentimes when we talk about the issue of election or predestination, people get really hung up on the issue and say, you know what, I, I don't know that I, can, I like that. I don't know that I, I like the fact that God would choose some and then he would choose others to go to hell. That doesn't sound like a loving God. Well, I think that's a wrong way of viewing it. I think we need to remind ourselves of a few things. First of all, why are people going to hell? Why are they going to hell? Is it because God chose for us to go to hell? No. I mean, the Scripture is very clear that hell itself was created for who? 
Satan and his angels. It wasn't created for us. It wasn't created for us at all. The reason why we are condemned in our sins is not because God just decided, well, you know what, I'm going to send those folks all to hell. No, it's because that our ancestors, Adam and Eve, chose to sin. And because of their sin, they corrupted everyone who would come after them. They corrupted you and I. And so our bent is sin. And because of that, there is a righteous retribution that must take place a judicial call, and that all of us here are going to hell. Now, that doesn't mean, so when you think about it, he didn't choose anyone to go to hell. We chose to go to hell because of our action and because of our sin. Now, that is the lot of humankind. So what God has done now is that in love, he reached out to us. His actions towards us in salvation were based on his love. Let me let me uh, let me share a story with you. I think it's been two, maybe three years ago. We we don't have any pets. I, we had one time we had a rabbit, we had fish, and we're really not pet people. And we have our reasons for it. But oh, December a couple of years ago, Lori was at the kitchen sink, and I was there, and Maddie was there, and and uh, we were talking and. It was kind of, snow was on the ground outside, and all of a sudden, Maddie said, look out the window. And we looked out the window, and there was this calico cat that was there, and then all of a sudden, there were these fur balls, especially this one little fur ball, which was a an orange, fluffy fur ball, and it came out of our workshop. This cat had obviously had her kittens in our workshop in the middle of winter, and when Lori saw that orange little fur ball, her heart melted. And all of a sudden, we're having to go out and dig through the entire workshop to find these kittens. Now, there were three kittens. We were only able to rescue two of them. The third one disappeared. I don't know. It hid itself pretty well. And so we have those two cats today in our household. Well, the next day, I'm thinking about it. We rescued these two cats. And it was like God was coming to me and saying, look, this is a picture of salvation. Here are these kittens. They're basically in the world. They're Pharaoh. They're, they're, they're basically on their own, not even wanting to be rescued, not even caring to be rescued, thinking life is okay the way it is. But the problem is it's winter. Things are not good for a cat to have kittens at that time of the year. Things are getting really cold. The fact is, is we also know that those cats ended up having worms, and so they had to be dewormed. So their choice in life was not good. They're facing death at some point. And so here we are. We reached out, and we rescued two of them. We couldn't rescue the third one. We made a choice to reach out and save two of them. And now those cats are happy and contented in our little world. The problem is, is that third cat didn't get rescued. That third kitten didn't get rescued. And the, face, the fact is, is it would face an early death. Now, here's what I want you to see. That's the picture of salvation. It's not that God is choosing that everybody else goes to hell. In fact, the scripture is very clear. He's willing that none should perish. But in his love, he reached out to those who have accepted him. 
He made a choice to reach out to some to save them from what is rightly our destiny, hell. So the manner in which he did this is that it's based on his love. Now, here's his purpose. Look with me. His purpose, we see it now in verse 5, is that he predetermined, that is, again, before the foundation of the world, he predetermined to adopt us as children. He predetermined to adopt us as children. So here's God's whole purpose. He, he, he predestined us. He chose us in love. He chose us, verse 5 says, to the adoption as sons. So again, he's making us a part of his family. We, we are full heirs with Jesus. We are full heirs in every aspect of the inheritance that belongs to Jesus. And so he predetermined to adopt us as his children. Do you see the wonderful nature of that? Now, the basis for the adoption, we see it there, the basis for the adoption is Jesus Christ, the one who died for us. The whole basis for you and I receiving salvation is Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what he's saying there in verse 5. And he goes on and tells us the reason. Why did he do this? Look with me. It's an awesome thought. Having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, that is God the Father, according to the good pleasure of his will. Here's what I want you to see. God's actions were based on his heart's desire and purpose. God's actions were based on his heart's desire and purpose. Now, how do you, say, how do you see that? Look with me at verse 5, last part there. According to what? The good pleasure of his will. First of all, his will. That is his purpose. He decided to do this. Why? Because his heart's desire is his good pleasure. God enjoys bringing salvation to you and I. It brings pleasure to him when someone comes to know, and when someone has made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And so the reality is, is that Jesus died for us so that God could extend His grace to us because it was His desire to do that. It was, it was for His pleasure. It was His will because He had a purpose for it. And so we see that there. And then verse 6, we see the reality of God's choice, the result of God's choice. Why did He do this? Look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Here's what we read again. To the praise of His glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Two things I want you to see there. The ultimate purpose of why He did this, the ultimate purpose is that God is glorified. The whole reason why He did this, from His sovereignty and His choice, and His predetermining, in His extending grace to us because of love, and his predetermining to make us holy and blameless before him, to, so that we would be adopted as his sons, so that he would, it would fulfill his purpose and his heart's desire for us. The whole reason why he did that is so that he is glorified. Do you understand? We're going to see this throughout the book of Ephesians. That basically when we talk about our salvation and our coming to Christ, you and I can't glory in that. We can't say, boy, I really made a good decision there. Man, I am so glad I got raised in that household. The reality is, is that only one person can receive the glory 
for our salvation, and that is God. And so he did it ultimately so that he himself would be glorified. That's what he's saying there. But not only that, he did it for another purpose. Notice the last part of verse 6. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. Here's what he's saying. By his grace, we were made acceptable to God. See, here's the reality. You and I can't make ourselves acceptable to him. There is no way. We constantly fail. We constantly, we, we don't measure up to God's standard. And so here we are, we're helpless to do anything to bring about acceptance. And if you don't know that, you need to pay attention, because all of us should be aware of this. You can't do anything to bring about acceptance in your life. So what did he do? He did it for you through salvation. And so by his grace, you and I are now made acceptable for Jesus. So to, to God. We are made acceptable to God the Father. Why? Is it because of what we've done? No. It's because of what Jesus has done. And so that's what we're going to look at next week. We're going to look at next week, what did Jesus specifically do for us in the issue of salvation? We see what God the Father has done for us in predetermining and choosing. But we're going to see what... Jesus has done for us as well as what the Holy Spirit has done for us and continues to do for us in salvation. So let's close our time in prayer and we'll get ready for the morning worship service.